Welcome to No Clip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rodermans. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Braid, a game that was developed by Number None and was published by Number None and Microsoft Game Studios, released in 2008 on Xbox 360, Windows, Mac, Linux, and PlayStation 3. Uh, but first, if you give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, also, uh, apparently there was an anniversary remaster announced for this game that was supposed to come out in 2021, but never came out. That's so, fascinating. If that ever comes out, also, it's on everything else. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this in a world where Braid Remaster exists, then amend appropriately. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we do not have the secret access to the Braid remaster, so we're instead playing Braid, the 2008 game. Braid Classic? Braid Classic, as it's called. Um, Yeah, and the thing that I wanted to mention, uh, before we started the podcast, I looked at the paper and was like, I didn't even know Number None was the name of the development studio, because this game is so, so heavily tied to Jonathan Blow's sort of uh, identity in the games industry mm-hmm. that he's the only person that I can associate with this game. And it doesn't help this game doesn't, as far as I can tell, have like a static credit sequence. I think there is one if you go into like the options or something. Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't see credits at all in this game. So I, pff, whoever else worked on this, fuck them, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, do, I did read... That there was an illustrator, and that apparently Jonathan Blow was very particular about uh, how it was to look. Mm-hmm. And so there were many, many revisions, which does sound like a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, that's just making art for anyone professionally. Sure. But, um, yeah, he is like a weird auteur guy. Uh, and a lot of people know who he is because of Indie Game, the movie. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I also, the same, like, when I looked it up, I'm like, oh, okay, it's, he has a development studio, and right. he, he is, it isn't just him. <laughs> or it might be, but they just had the name for reasons, yeah. but, you know. Uh, yeah, and that is, I mean, I think a lot of the legacy of this game does, it, it's, it's weird, like, it is an auteur-style game, where it was mostly a one-man team who developed it, Uh and then it became a surprising success, and then because of the release of Indie Game the movie, which I think this is the first... There are weirdly two of them on our Mystery May list mm-hmm. uh, of the, I believe, three games that are talked about in that movie. Uh, this is the first time we're talking about a game that was featured in that film, which was a weirdly popular movie when it came out. And I don't really know why. <laughs> I just assume that, like, the culture was right at the time. Yeah, I think it was just right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they'd just become, like, a, a thing. Uh, like, with Xbox Live Arcade and et cetera, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And they, they were just right on top of it with putting it out. And so everyone has seen it for whatever reason. It was just like, yeah, it was a curiosity to people at the time. Like how like three guys in a basement made a video game. (laughs) And yeah, and that's like, uh, this ended up being, uh, if I remember an article I read about it correctly, I, I believe Braid ended up being the highest rated 
game on the Xbox Live arcade store, mm-hmm. uh, which is an accomplishment of some kind. A lot of people, particularly in the reviewer space, really like this game. And I know a fair number of people who also really like this game. Uh, but now we're going to talk about what we feel like with this game. Yeah, and just real quick, though, uh, before like we came in here, I was watching some old reviews. Because uh-huh. this game is from 2008, and YouTube existed back then. So I got to like watch a couple of really old, like, of-the-time <laughs> reviews and just got to feel like that time capsule of like how much things have changed. Because, uh, yeah, like... At the end of the one of them, the guy was like, yeah, I still think Castle Crashers is the best game on Xbox Live right now, uh, but if <laughs> you want to get pick up another one, definitely make it Braid. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Imagine when you only had, like, two choices for indie game. <laughs> and you had to buy, like, an awkwardly priced uh, points card. Where 600 points was $10, but you had to buy like a thousand points at once so that mm-hmm. you never had an empty balance. Very predatory stuff. <laughs> uh, but it had the cool Blades interface. So, you know, shout outs to the Xbox 360. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Braid is a puzzle platforming game. Uh, and. It is uh, very heavy on the puzzles and very light on the platforming. I uh, remember many years ago, a friend of the podcast, J.J. Artinez, telling me that Braid was his favorite platformer. And at the time, I had not played the game. Now, looking back, and I had played the game briefly before. This is the first time I've actually finished Braid. Uh, I am now recognizing that that was a joke he was telling, Mm. and I just didn't realize at the time, because the joke of this game is that it is not a platformer, really very much at all. However, it does use the visual and mechanical language of a platformer, and I would argue this is, like, one of my favorite elements of the game, so... Uh... I feel like I disagree with that. Uh-huh. Um, I do... I mean, I agree that, it, the, like, the meat and potatoes of it, like, it is a puzzle game. Uh, but, like, I mean, all, all the puzzles and everything in it really, like, involve platforming and jumping from platform to, or platform to platform. Sure. But it's like... To me, it's like saying Braid is your favorite platform. Well, yeah. That, I, I agree with that. That was, like, a joke from JJ. But it's like saying that Dark Souls is your favorite platformer. Platforming is required to finish the game, but it is not the focus of the game and the game doesn't really test your platforming ability. That isn't the main goal of Braid. No. Or really a goal at all. I think it it <laughs> challenges you on a reflex-based thing about twice ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's mostly just can you get from point A to point B as fast as you can. And also that is going to... Uh, uh, you're going to be able to rewind time and do that as many times as you want. So the challenge is really pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I don't know. It's it's interesting because it is a puzzle platformer by definition. I'm not going to say that it isn't. <laughs> yeah. But it's a puzzle game, 
and the platforming is just how you get around on the levels. <laughs> yeah. There, so just like a semantic thing, I guess? Sure. But I think it's important because the game uses so much of the visual language of platformers, specifically uh, the Super Mario Brothers, uh, with the existence of Goombas and Piranha Plants uh, and Pipes, which mm -hmm. are just in this game more or less in like a comically weird way. <laughs> yeah, and the princess is in another castle with a dinosaur, etc. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's one that's one of those details that like really stood out to me uh when I first played the game because I think I played it initially in like 2015 and kind of bounced off of it. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it's like I don't get it. <laughs> like it stands out like I think like such a sore thumb that it just has like goombas but with like a weird gargoyle lion face on it. <laughs> and it's got just piranha plants and because I is I I think it's supposed to like use that to like misdirect you into thinking it's gonna be a platformer and then it ends up not being so it's like a subversion right or like a, yeah like something like that but it it ends up feeling like really unnecessary to me and like just kind of weird yeah the intent so Blow has said and this is like. A paraphrase of a paraphrase, because I don't remember the exact quote, or even the quote as was <laughs> quoted where I read it, uh, but basically that he developed Braid with the idea of trying to, so, like, it's satirize or, like, sub, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Dissect? Turn on its head mm. what he thought the current trends in video games were. Uh, and if you look at it, like, at the time in 2008, the, what, what I think of as the trends in video games are, like, modern warfare. Like, gun games. Mm -hmm. uh, but Military shooter? Yeah, but there's none of that in this game. So, like, there's no way that that is, like, the bulk of what he's talking about there. So he must be either referencing platformers generally or our perennial favorite uh, indie 2D <laughs> uh, platformer game. Uh, and that is what he made. But I, uh, the thing that it's that it directly calls to of Mario Brothers is, it, like you said, I think it is supposed to make you think about it as a platformer to then pull the rug out from under you. Mm -hmm. It makes it difficult sometimes to think about the solution to puzzles because you are seeing something that you would view as a regular challenge in a totally different game. Mm -hmm. Uh it's interesting. Somebody who is who is who was more active in this at the time could probably give a better read on mm -hmm. what this game is supposed <laughs> to be uh, subverting. But to me, in this day and age, it feels like Braid is is being a platformer in order to trick you into playing the game wrong. Yeah, like um, one interesting I was thinking about is like because I had to replay, or I didn't have to, but I ended up replaying. Uh, most of the game actually uh to capture footage for this yeah um because i didn't want to do it on my first playthrough because 
the whole capture footage might just be me failing to solve one level. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> so like I realized that like when you're playing it initially uh, on the first couple of levels, like it doesn't tutorialize the rewind until you die. Right. Which I think like can like, yeah, prolong that feeling of like, you jump on the Goombas and you get the puzzle pieces <laughs> uh, until you end up like falling in a pit or whatever and you rewind. So it's almost like a surprise mm-hmm. that you can rewind, which is interesting. Um, and I, I watched a, I watched as many videos as I could about this game because it's kind of vague yeah. um, and open about certain details of it. And I listened to him like uh, Jonathan Blow explain that like, the idea for the like, basing the game around time came from like some of his friends discussing Prince of Persia, of course, and how like the rewind mechanic like takes away like consequence uh, from games, and uh, so he he liked thinking about that idea and like doing a game about time where you can just rewind your mistakes and still making it feel like there's meaningful challenges to overcome and like meaningful consequences. And like, he was really interested in like having it be an unlimited thing that you could do and, uh, not be a resource and et cetera, et cetera. Like all these things you wanted to do. So I guess that's kind of a little bit more, uh, about like what he was trying to do with it. Yeah. I still don't think it really relates to Mario that much. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I still think that was a weird creative decision. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I mean, I think it is one of those things where it's put in there to, to so that your mind goes to a familiar place. But yeah, yeah, I just it, it seems, it seems like, different from his intention. Yeah, especially like the game's art is so nice. Yeah, like it's got like the like impressionistic, like dreamy, painterly backgrounds. It just it feels like it doesn't need. To do like the on the nose Mario thing mm-hmm. to accomplish that goal at all, so like maybe it was something like like we've brought up. It came out in two thousand eight uh-huh. that just unfortunately aged really quickly because like that become like a really big indie game thing to just like reference older games and stuff like that. True, Braid does predate Flappy Bird. Yes, <laughs> uh, another game that we have done an episode on. So you know, go check that one out. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, I don't know, that that was, like, the thing that that struck me the most about it, is, like, when I, I play the game, at least, like, from face value, right, like, you play the game, you see the stuff that is, is obvious and intentionally so, uh, related to Mario, and then the, you play the game and it is entirely different. Um, so the actual challenge of the game comes in the form of these puzzles and it's really interesting because it, the game itself to complete, to get to the end of all the levels, like from point A to the like exit door is almost never, not just not a challenge, but often doesn't even have obstacles in the way you just sort of proceed from one to the other and so the actual challenge of the game comes from collecting these puzzle pieces so at the beginning you're gonna think once again because of all the platforming language that's in the game that the puzzle pieces are like extra challenges they're dinosaur coins they're 
strawberries. There's some other shit that you don't need to do, but they're there for people who want the challenge. But it becomes not even all that quickly, but at some point apparent that you do have to get all of them. And a lot of them feel impossible when you first look at them. <laughs> Uh, did you have a, did you have a super easy time with the game? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> as I said, I, I picked this up in 2015 initially, I think on JJ's recommendation, mm-hmm. uh, cause he likes this game a lot or at least did at the time. Um, and I bounced off of it super hard. Uh, yeah. like I, especially back then, I think I played games much more casually and this kind of blindsided me with how hard it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like I ran through most of the levels. I think it's even like, as you were saying, like intentionally designed how it is for you to do that because like earlier on, there's more actual like platforming to get through to get to the exit door. And uh, most of the later levels, like uh, the whole level is like, on platforms and you could just walk easily underneath all of it from one door to the other right without anything in your way so um yeah it's so i ended up doing that a lot like just running through the levels not getting the puzzle pieces i think when i booted the game up i had gotten to world five and had completed none of the levels (laughs) you know like i had like a handful of puzzle pieces in each world uh so was yeah like i think that's gonna be a pretty common thing for a lot of people to do to like get past the first couple worlds before they realize like oh i'm gonna have to go back and get all the stuff right yeah the achievement system at least on steam which i assume are imported directly from the xbox live version of the game Mm -hmm. uh is like in itself it's structured in a way that you get an achievement for completing the level mm-hmm. and then you get another achievement for solving the level right uh so it even separates it out like that honestly the fact that there are levels that you can run through without any challenge i think is the first signal that you get that you're going to have to collect them because as you solve things what it does is in the house overworld hub thing Mm -hmm. it adds more rungs to the ladder that go up to the uh exit and that's not really apparent that it's happening it just sort of does happen uh or at least i don't think it i don't know maybe if you solve the puzzle on the house screen it makes more of an animation but i rarely did i think it all takes place off screen yeah as far as i can tell so yeah. you just don't get anything for that. So yeah, it's you, not easy. Yeah, if you don't check it, you won't you won't notice for a while. Right. Though I guess the very first hint is probably that you start on World Two, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, I would say it was it's a glaring thing, but I don't know if it's very clear about what it's signaling. Yeah, I think it's just supposed to set up a mystery. Is like what it wants to do. Like I. Right. I I put two and two together pretty quick. Like, I was like, we start on world two, we can't access the attic. Like, the attic is where level, or world one is. Yeah. Uh, Which is correct. So, I I think it wants to get you curious about getting to that location. uh, And to make make you think about how to get there. Yeah. And it, like, works with the whole overall theming. Not to jump too far ahead, but the fact that world one is the last level you're like 
kind of going backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, a cyclical thing, time, yeah. etc. And at the end of World 1, you get spit back out and go to World 2 to start the game over again. So, yeah, it, it makes sense. Uh, and I'm not criticizing the thematic elements of doing it. But as far as, like, to a new player, starting on World 2... You'll notice that, and then later you'll realize that you do have to collect everything in order to finish <laughs> yeah. the game. Uh, and there's some level of understanding in between that. Uh, but yeah, so uh, collecting puzzle pieces, <laughs> not easy to do. Yeah, like I think we've talked about this in a couple of other episodes. Like I think maybe The Last Guardian comes to mind. Like, I think Braid is a kind of puzzle game that, like, uses a specific kind of puzzle design, uh, which in my head I'm thinking of, it's just, like, it makes, like, real puzzles <laughs> <laughs> that you actually have to problem solve to beat, mm-hmm. um, and they can make you feel really dumb, because, uh, like, <laughs> like the, I think the thing that makes them feel so hard to me, anyway, uh, is that it's kind of hard to like internalize how all of the mechanics like work together or how they like affect each other or like how things react to like what you're going to do. Like there's certain things like, uh, like there's like the green items that aren't affected by the rewind. And sometimes it's hard to tell how like a green key is going to react with a green door or, you know, and there's, like, a lot of little trial and error things like that, like, figuring out just how the mechanics are going to react uh, before you can even, like, try and start to, like, to solve the puzzle. <laughs> you have to, like, understand the tools better by, like, experimenting. Yeah, in the grand scheme of video game puzzles, they're, like, I would separate them into, like, three different styles of puzzle. The one that I've talked about on the podcast the most is what I call newspaper puzzles, which is where they just are like a maze or put the red thing on the red thing, uh, a sort of a non-puzzle. Yeah, like push the button. Yeah. You know, sort of thing. Well, that's more, I guess, I shouldn't have said the red one. That one is more in the second category. Okay. But just like something that could have been done in any medium, transposed into video games for the sake of having a puzzle there. And I'm kind of derisive of these. I think they're kind of stupid. Braid is definitely not that. And the second one is like the adventure game Zelda-style puzzle, where it's more about the exploration and you like figure stuff out and it's dynamic. And then Braid has the puzzle type where you have to sit there and figure out every individual moving part. And then execute on it. Mm-hmm. And it's done in various different ways throughout Braid. My favorite of which being the ones where you figure out what the important elements are. And then plan out a way to do a thing and complete it. Uh, and my least favorite being figure out what you have to do. And then you have to execute it perfectly. Because that version of it sucks for me. I don't like doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I feel like I work so hard (laughs) to get the actual puzzle all in my head at one time. And then I have to execute. And that's where I always end up fucking up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, Braid has definitely the most cognitively 
straining puzzles. I think of of the types of video game puzzles that I've seen. Yeah, I was like, like I said, it's like you have to do actual problem solving, mm-hmm. whereas just like your category, like of type two puzzles, right? Like a Zelda puzzle is more of like a. They can still be hard, but there's still more like guided, like kind of specifically designed experiences. Yeah. Where yeah, like, um, I Jonathan Blow is like he was like I think a software engineer before he became a d- game developer. Right. And I I think of the puzzles kind of like like I like listening to people talk about programming from like a software design standpoint is where you have like a problem you need to solve. And you have like tools to solve it, and like often you can beat your head against something for a long time, and then it ends up being like this really simple solution uh, right. that ends up being the, you know, like the 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 epiphany moment when you're like, oh, it's this simple. That's all I needed to do, and I'm trying to do fucking all of this shit over here. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where it's like you have several tools to work with. And you're trying to solve it with a particular tool, but the actual easier way to do it is by using a different tool entirely. Yeah, or using it in a different way that you hadn't thought of, or could be mm-hmm. any number of things. Um, but yeah, they come off more like that, you know, like uh, having to really solve a problem. Um, yeah, and you could use computer programming. I know the game itself has like allusions to... Uh, the creation of the atom bomb right or like you could even like say like putting someone on the moon or like having some kind of an impossible task that you have to like solve problems to progress to that goal and like kind of having to like advance like actually having to like advance your knowledge mm-hmm. and like maybe like invent new things to be able to accomplish that goal it almost kind of feels like it's like a metaphor for like problem solving in that way is at least like an interpretation i had of it based on like what i know of the creator of the game yeah (laughs) which is yeah it's one of it's it's a thing that you wouldn't even be able to form an interpretation of until you've actually finished the game yeah right like uh the game's i don't really want to talk about the game's narrative and presentation right yeah not yet yeah because we gotta take this game all the way downtown uh (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i agree it's it's got a very strong focus on its uh on that problem solvability whereas like then you do a jigsaw puzzle which is a newspaper type puzzle yeah uh but either way it's like a uh it it is just like every level does feel like an actual challenge and not just every level but every individual puzzle piece uh it's more for people who are um smart (laughs) uh and who will sit and look at the screen and work it out and figure it out and i get fidgety and go Mm. i just want to like try things (laughs) and that doesn't work it's it's kind of like how i bounced off Catherine. yeah i i the my problem with it is like I second guess myself. Mm. Like you say, like you work it all out in your head and then you try and execute it and then you can't do it. Cause it's one of the ones that like you have to do it just right. So you start to think like, Oh, maybe this isn't the solution. Right. And then you can like go and waste a bunch of time trying to do something else. 
Um, so like for me, like that's where I bounce off games like this is like, I'm not, I'm not confident enough <laughs> that like I found the right solution, even if I have, if it's like hard to execute it. Yeah. There's one, <laughs> there's one puzzle that I second guess myself so deeply that I just straight up left and had to come back like after I had beaten everything else. Uh, that was just like you had to raise a platform and then raise a second platform mm. using the clone. And I ended up like just not working it out. Evidently, you can, the clone itself can mm-hmm. activate a lever yep. even if it isn't standing next to it. Like you can just mash the up button and he will or whatever button it is on any other, you know, platform. Uh, And he will flip the switch when he gets to it. And I just didn't know that. And so when I was doing that puzzle, like I had, I was trying to figure out a way to like make it all the way down and rewind back up. So I was doing like two cycles and then rewinding both of them Mm. to see if I could get onto the platform when he raised it up. And it just was too complicated, and so I gave up on it, and then later found out that was the solution. So Yeah, and I mean, that's a really good example. Because, like, once you know how to do that one, it seems so simple. Yeah. But, like, when you first approach it, yeah, you're like, okay, I have to rewind it. Because it requires you to rewind twice. Mm-hmm. And so you have to keep it straight in your brain, like, okay, I'm here, I'm going to go there. So that when I rewind, I'm going to go here and the ghost is going to go here. Right. And, like, you have to, like, keep track of, like, four different things. And it's easy to just, like, in the moment, like, forget what's going to happen. Like, there's one earlier on that's a a bit simpler where there's, like, a platform over a pit. And you have to, like, go up and stand. It's, like, above a puzzle piece. Like, you can't jump the pit ladder platform. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to go, like, stand above where the puzzle piece is, then come down and flip the switch and have it go across and then rewind. You know, it's not there because it's a green platform, so it won't move. <laughs> but, like, you have to realize that rewinding it will let you go through the platform, yep. et cetera. You know, like, and that took me a while to figure out. And then once I did, I was like, oh, duh. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so many of the puzzles are like that, or at least they were for me, where they seemed, like, really hard and then some of them I even felt like I fumbled my way through and then <laughs> solved them and was like, I don't really understand what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like if somebody asked me to explain this one, mm-hmm. I would not be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, there are only a couple like that. Um, but yeah, like, I don't Yeah, like, it's really hard, especially early on. Like, it ended up for me feeling like the middle of the game was the easiest part. Okay. Because, like, the beginning, I, it was hard for me to wrap my head around a lot of stuff, and then at the end, it gets more complicated. Like, the middle kind of ended up being the sweet spot for me. Um, so, yeah, it was weird like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are two uh, different uh, mechanics. There are different mechanics in each stage, essentially. The first stage, which is World 2... doesn't it's just the rewind mechanic but Mm -hmm. then you have other ones uh as you go through and for me um and it's like i feel like how you interact with these puzzles is only a baseline understanding as to whether or not you're going to enjoy your time with this game yeah because i ended up really i found that to be the opposite the first part of the game except Mm. for that i agree with the first part of the game being difficult to get your head around 
But once you do, you kind of coast through it. Uh, and then World 3 was fine for me, but then World 4 introduces the move forward to move time forward and move back to reverse it. Mm-hmm. And that, and then my perennial least favorite pu- puzzle mechanic in history, the you make a clone of yourself that does the thing that you just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I really hate that. And I was really bad at mm-hmm. the the move, the movement based ones. Uh, and so I ended up struggling extremely hard in four and five, mm. uh, more so than any other point in the game, and by a huge margin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, for me, it was yeah, World Two probably felt the hardest, or I mean, World Three, the mm. second world you do, um, because like I think like it took me a while to like, because like the game doesn't tutorialize stuff as we say. Right. I found like the green particle effect kind of hard to notice. Sure. So like there yeah. would be like a key that was green and I was trying to do stuff with it for a while and I didn't even notice it was a green key. And I'm like, oh, so I, I found that kind of easy to overlook. Um, and yeah, like it's just early in the game. So it's like hard to work it out. Like, I feel like once I conquered World 3, <laughs> like when I got like World 4 and 5's mechanic is more complicated. But like, I felt like I had that baseline understanding of how braid worked when I got to those levels or worlds. So they didn't seem as bad. Like I went through them, got most of the puzzle pieces and had to go back and sweep up, you know, the last like four or so. Uh, So, which was much smoother than world two had been for three had been for me. Yeah. I, I will say my potentially my favorite braid moment was in uh, World 3, which was where I picked up... A, no, it was World 4. Uh, the running forward and back mechanic, mm-hmm. it did involve a green key. Yeah. Uh, but the running forward and back mechanic was the one that I was most upset that I didn't get because mm-hmm. it had several moments that I thought I really liked, uh, particularly the running on moving plat- platforms to fast forward time right? or backwards to slow it way down. Um I thought was very cool, but my favorite braid moment of the game. Uh, <laughs> so put it on the the, the instant replay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is the when I got a key and then just ran face forward into a door going left, mm-hmm. and because time was rewinding, it just didn't open, and I was <laughs> like, okay, I deserved that. Like I didn't think ahead. I ran straight into a wall, and I have to start the level over because the key is green and it broke. Uh, and I found that to be like very funny, and also uh, really drove home like these are the intersecting mechanics, and you smashing your face against this door is a perfect example of why you haven't grasped it yet. Mm-hmm. So it had moments of things like that that I did really like, uh, and I just didn't like the parts that were tedious yeah uh unfortunately at least for me like the moments that are tedious are most of the game Uh (laughs) but like it does it does have that like real like sense of satisfaction though um and i I, it's one of those games that like i feel like is bad for our (laughs) podcast format like having to beat this in like a week and a half is not the best way to enjoy it I don't think. Yeah, I think it really depends on, I guess, what kind of person you are. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to look a handful of things up Same. to make sure I finished it in time. 
And I mean, I may have had to even if I didn't have a deadline, but... Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that I just wouldn't have been willing to put the time into. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, because this isn't my style of game. Jonathan Blow, famous for Braid, also famous for The Witness, a game that I will never in a million years play. <laughs> Looks very cool. Uh, I know that I will hate it. So, <laughs> there you go. I guess if we get it requested or something, yeah, uh, then maybe. But still... Probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, I also don't like playing this kind of a game, especially not in long sittings. And this probably took me longer than most people to finish. I think it took me like eight-ish hours uh, mm. to get through. That doesn't seem long to me. It doesn't seem exceedingly long. It's long according to how long to beat.com. Everyone lies on how long to beat.com. <laughs> I don't know. It's That's one, pretty accurate. Uh, see, for me, it's consistently, I think, people shave like two hours off of what their actual time was based on my experience i need to go on there and become a an honest time giver <laughs> as a whatever yeah account. I mean, maybe i'm reading into things but mm -hmm. i feel like it's pretty consistent that like if i took like 17 hours on a game like the average time will be like 14 and a half <laughs> It's like, I think people are slightly lying about how fast they beat the game. Right. They're like, well, it couldn't have been that long. I probably left the game on while I was doing something <laughs> yeah. else. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, that is the, the nature of puzzles, I think. Yeah. As described by us. Yeah. And I think they're like really cleverly, um, like the game, as I said, has like a really sparse narrative. Or one that's kind of, like, left up to interpretation. But, like, I think, like, the gameplay mechanics are, like, interestingly tied in. Um, if you kind of, like, pay attention to the themes, like, the names of the worlds and, like, what the little stories are about. Mm -hmm. Like, the first set of books talks about, like, erasing your mistakes and the mechanic is the rewind thing. Yeah. And then the second set of levels, it talks about, like, oh, well... If you erase all your mistakes, you erase all your opportunities for growth. And then it introduces the green items that can't be rewound and therefore introduce consequences. Right. And, you know, it, it does stuff like that, which I think is, like, really clever uh, and interesting. You know it would be clever and interesting? If, uh -huh. if we talked about that theming and stuff... After, After the break. break. Uh, that would be a good idea. Yeah. That would be interesting, Clever. Yes. What I said. <laughs> this is a podcast just like Mama used to make. Uh, we're definitely coming back in on that, by the way. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the podcast that's just like your mama used to make <laughs> on Braid. Because this game is old like your mama. <laughs> uh, right. Themes. Story. Plot. I don't know why I closed the notebook. <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, now it's back open to the notes. Now, now you know everything. Now I am knower of the tomes. <laughs> uh, so here, here's my confession: mm -hmm. the writing in this game is very eloquent. It sounds very good. It's poetic in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I didn't get it. If you, <laughs> if, if you had pulled me out of the room 10 minutes after I finished Braid and asked what I thought, like, the cool themes and stuff of the game were, I would have probably taken a few random stabs in the dark mm-hmm. and uh, not gotten a good you wouldn't have gotten a good answer out of me yeah i think that's fair i I benefited a lot from essentially just replaying the game yeah uh to capture the footage uh youtube.com slash no clip podcast um so yeah a lot of it stood out more to me on a second time um especially yeah like those connections between like the books and then the mechanics like uh like the ring like freezing time it's like his like wedding ring, and he like feels like he can't move past that relationship. So the ring like represents that, right? Cool little things like that. Um, that like I didn't really notice the first time either. <laughs> yeah, it's like the the fact that the books are all at the beginning of the levels. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's easy to forget everything that they said. Yeah, over the course of the entire game, like because it is presented in such a static way. Here's the narrative part. Here's the mechanical exploration. And because the game is so mentally taxing from a mechanical standpoint, even though the themes of each level are reflected in the in the uh, in the titles of the worlds and the mechanics you're using them in, it's very easy to get lost in the sauce, as mm-hmm. the kids say. Uh, and you end up sort of like not really thinking about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> a- it is a lot of flowery language and a couple of key lines yeah. that are the things that are relevant. So, yeah, it's easy to not pick up on any of it. <laughs> and, like, even at the very end of the game, there's actually just hidden narrative content that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Like uh, with the stars? Not the stars. Uh, I don't even know what the deal is with those. But yeah. I know there's one of them that apparently you have to wait, like, two hours on a cloud. Yep. Uh, which I support. I think that's a funny <laughs> thing that I, I enjoy. Um, the game is about time, after all. It's true. And it's going to... It doesn't demand much of you <laughs> just to finish it. But if you want to go the extra mile. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, no, there's uh, in the epilogue section... Mm, there's the empty books. Yeah, that I didn't know were a thing until I think maybe the last one... I, I wrote I figured out the platform puzzle to rise up mm-hmm. on the platform, but then didn't know what to do once I was there. And then later realized that to proceed, I didn't actually even need to do that puzzle. I could have just walked to the right, but it just screamed, "This is a puzzle!" So yeah. I did it, and then I jumped off. And there, like, if you land behind a thing, it gives you additional stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. something about him wanting to be in a candy store as a child. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't know what this is and looked it up later. And there's just more, there's more of that that I didn't know existed in that part of it. So mm-hmm. I felt like there were pretty big gaps in my knowledge of like what all the game was trying to, to tell. Yeah. Uh, so it was an interesting game to play because there was, there was a lot of, analysis going on both mechanically and narratively and i felt like the game was structured in such a way that i had a difficult time with the narrative part of it uh it it was the themes felt like they came through 
well, but it was the overall message that I was missing. And I understand the game doesn't have a strict narrative. Mm -hmm. It has gestures at a narrative. And that was what I was hoping to get more of and just wasn't able. I feel like the game asks too much of its player to understand what it's trying to get across. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, it seems kind of intentional to me. Like, you're supposed to... Like, I think the game relatively short mm-hmm. uh especially if you play it a second time you'll breeze through it in like two and a half hours uh or or shorter right um and i feel like it's, it's stuff that uh, yeah it's like better examined on a second time through when you can focus on it more um but yeah i, I think some of the main stuff kind of comes through pretty clearly like the stuff with the princess that, like, he's, like, leaving a relationship that he's in to pursue this other woman that he feels compelled to for some reason. Right. Um, and I think that's intentional. Like, once again, the Mario thing. Like, it, it, it wants to present, like, oh, go get the princess. It's kind <laughs> of, like, its story, and then there's a lot more to it. Right. Um, yeah, like, I, I think it, it wants the player to, like, work for everything. Uh, and, yeah, some people are going to like that more than others, I guess. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not levying this necessarily as a criticism of the game story, just that it was a it's a kind of story that makes it, as you said before, kind of bad for our format. Uh because it's not a game that I got to sit with and really digest, mm-hmm. and I feel like if I did, I would have a lot more to praise about its storytelling. Um but the way that I've played it, I didn't get enough of it for me to really have much of an opinion mm-hmm. I, the intention definitely is to keep it vague and to make it the like i have heard from multiple places uh that the game has a its narrative may be centered around the idea of the creation of the atom bomb mm-hmm. uh and by multiple places i mean one place and then you said it so that makes two yeah i think that's just more of like a comparison and not actually what the game's about right at all but it's like one of the easy things to pick up on yeah because from my understanding there was one book that mentions it at all yeah there's a quote in the epilogue that's from one of the people that worked on the atom bombs like now we're all sons of bitches now or something like that as well yeah and there is a to me that takes me to uh twin peaks uh because they yeah <laughs> uh, the return episode 8 yeah it's, it's twin peaks return episode 8 required viewing for anybody who wants to play braid uh <laughs> jonathan blow looked through time in space uh, and saw season 3 of twin peaks before making braid which I will always be envious of him for. <laughs> but it is what it took me there and it made me sort of analyze it in a similar way because they're doing kind of similar things with it. The idea of it being like this evil act of man. And Braid, that was something that I didn't consider when I was playing, but was introduced to that idea afterward that made me go back and think like, Okay, in that context, like, what are we talking about? You have the level where you are in reverse chasing the princess. So Tim is set up to not be a good dude uh, pretty intentionally. And he has, like, 
very several like scenes within the game of him having a problematic uh relationship with multiple different people mm-hmm. um, he wants to control everything right and the, also as we mentioned briefly uh on break we were talking about how there's a, a almost all of the puzzles it show him drinking wine oh, so there's yeah, an implication yeah. that he may or may not be an alcoholic as well um uh, Including, like, the fr- I think the first one is the starkest example because it's like him in a having a bit of a tryst. A oh, meetup. yeah, it's like a romantic picnic. Yeah, and him, like, Have a roll leaning the back, <laughs> having a roll in the hay, and reaching back for the, the, the goblet, the glass of wine. Yeah. Uh, in- indicating that it's important to him uh, and to see it in multiple things. So that's another thing that you have to take into account. Like, Okay, so Tim might be an alcoholic, and then at the end you have like, oh, Tim might have had uh, sort of a confrontational relationship with his mother. He may not understand why the people who love him love him, uh, or why they aren't doing more for him because of his controlling nature. So there's all these different themes that kind of get mixed up together, and I kind of came out of it with the message like, okay, Tim's a douchebag. <laughs> I get that. Uh, does he... Yeah, he was given the, the power right. of the time manipulation, yeah. Yeah, and that's even if he does, or if that's all metaphorical yeah, as well, right? right? Like, there's a lot to it, and it's a lot of stuff to try and take in, and I feel like in this situation where I've just beaten the game once, I'm I not... can't digest it. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. not coming at this with the, what I would like to. Yeah, like... This is a lesson, at least where I, I took it as a lesson anyway, early on when we did the episode on Transistor. Mm. Uh, I took no lessons from that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it just it's, it was just like a formative experience for me in terms of like doing the cast. Because like, JJ really likes that game. And he was like, before we played, he was like, oh, you know, try and pay attention to it. And like the narrative <laughs> is like really intricate. And, you know, there's a lot of subtleties and stuff, things to pick up on, et cetera, et cetera. And... Uh, we both finished it like the day we recorded the episode and had no time to think about it. Yep. And so it's like JJ being like, oh, this and that. And then we're just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I like try to speed up the digestion process. And it's why I always like read reviews and like see what other people think. It helps me like cement my own opinions and stuff on games. Yeah. But anyway, that's a little behind the curtain talk. Look out for the transistor epilogue coming <laughs> twenty twenty four or whatever. Yeah. Uh but yeah, no, yeah. It, it is this is one of those kind of games where it, like it does require reflection. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I think my favorite puzzle mechanic of the game is the ring. Not just because I just really like the way that it, it functions and it's like plays. a black hole. It's like a little black hole that slows time down. Mm-hmm. And like the closer it, you get to the center. Yeah. The area of effect is great because it doesn't actually it has like a ring that shows the literal area. But it still affects outside that ring. A yeah, bit. by a little bit, but the it's just diminished. And uh mm-hmm. outside of the event horizon. <laughs> exactly. D- t- Braid is a lot like the classic nineteen ninety four science fiction film <laughs> Event Horizon. Classic. Uh, a classic. Starring that guy from Jurassic Park. Yeah, I should remember his name. Sam Neill. Yeah, that's it. I don't know how I remembered it, <laughs> but it came to me. Uh but yeah, because it, it's one where I you know, I was already in that mode, right? Where I'm trying to 
figure out the game more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a visual thing. Like, it's the ring is, a, is an actual thing. They make direct reference to it. You can also you, you use it for platforming. Yeah. You can use it to make higher jumps and stuff. So it, it does kind of interact with the mechanics in a bit of a different way mm-hmm. than everything else. Yeah, if there's any downside to this idea of sort of structuring your game in the way of a platformer but doing it as a puzzle game it's that sometimes it's just hard to tell uh it's hard to make a mechanic that interacts well with the platforming mechanics as well as it does with the puzzle mechanics uh which is what the green sparkles and the move back and forth to change time kind of do whereas the the ring feels like it fits both genres well. Yeah, it's like an item. Yeah. And the other things are like modifications to like what you do, yeah. like abilities. In a more traditional platformer, they would be gimmicks of individual levels. Yeah. Uh, whereas the ring would be a thing that might get mapped to a button where you actually get to slow time down and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, all of that's very interesting and good. Um but I think the ring is the best of them as far as, like, the actual mechanical implementation goes. But also thematic. I think I think that it does tie well into the rest of what the game is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it reminds you to be thinking about it in that way. So Yeah, yeah and it, it, it definitely leads to some of the, like, harder puzzles, I think, right at the very end. Uh, like, there's one that's, like a reprisal of an earlier level where you have to like move the little Goomba guys and you have to like adjust the timing of the piranha plants so they can march through so you can jump on them and you need to get two of them over there so you can bounce <laughs> high enough. Yeah. That took me fucking forever to do. <laughs> like you have your puzzle mantra, like a sign of a bad puzzle is like, you know what to do, but then it's really hard to do it. Yeah. This was that yeah. for me, like the example <laughs> of that in this game for me, where it's like, I probably tried it like 35 times before I got it. <laughs> yeah, and actually doing the the fact that this game has a double jump mechanic where like if you bounce three on three times even you can go That's even true. Higher, yeah. It's a triple jump. Oh shit, somebody called Mario 64. Uh wahoo. Wahoo. I wish Tim would say that. <laughs> it, he... Just one time, you yeah. know. Wahoo. <laughs> Uh, that even feels like a, a stretch because a lot of the times, like the double jump feels so it doesn't, it's not a thing that you consider as part of the puzzle because mm. it's not a thing that you do very often. Yeah. You can really only do it in the, uh, the levels where you can go back and forth to move time because right. you're able to jump on them backwards and not kill them. Yeah. Or at least that's where it's the easiest to do it. Yeah, it's it's it is uncommonly used elsewhere. And you can use your shadow guy to like get killed and knock one an enemy in the air and then jump off of it, which is also kind of another form of a double jump. Yeah, which I think is another mechanic that gets used exactly one time, where you have to jump at least into. Twice. Okay, I only remember doing it one time where you jump into an enemy and mm-hmm. springboard it and then rewind and then jump on him. Uh. Yeah, I think if you were actually had to break it down, I'm talking about mechanics a little bit more here. That's my bad. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, if if you had to break it down, the puzzles, I have such a love hate relationship with the puzzles that use a different mechanic 
or rather use a mechanic in a different way than is ever used before. Like, I really like the idea of the puzzle where you have to jump to your death, but then rewind and have it passed to mm. you. Uh, but it didn't. That didn't. That solution did not come to me very quickly uh, because it's not a thing that had ever been. I didn't know if the key would get passed to me or not. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot sort of going on in a lot of those, and that's another one where you just have to like just jump into his ass and he'll fly up in the air <laughs> and then you rewind and then you can jump off of him while he's in the air. Uh, it's like stuff like that is very, very hard to figure out, but yeah, is but, not... but very cool. Yeah. It's a really good idea. That's just uh taxing to the player. Yeah. There's like, there's one later on that's easier to figure out, but kind of similar, like not a thing you would think that you could do or you just had to like, jump off of a platform and then rewind right before you hit the door and then oh, yeah, your shadow and he, goes and he hits the door and unlocks it. And yeah. Yeah. That is, that's another one. Like super cool when you figure it out, but like, man, but like, why would you think to do it? Yeah. yeah. It, to me, it's like people complain about that Metroid fusion room mm. where you have to bomb a random floor tile. Yeah. To me, that's what that reads like. Is like th- here's this thing Except that... you don't have a super bomb in this case. Yeah, you just have to figure that out somehow. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like kind of unfair to me. Yeah, it feels like Krusty Krab fun fair. Yeah, Mr. Krabs is in there <laughs> standing at the concession. You can't say it and then not finish it. <laughs> I mean, I was going to, but Plotting his oppression. (laughs) Uh, You know what I actually really liked about the... My favorite thing about the move forward and backward in both space and time Mm -hmm. level is the fact that the music does... The music goes backwards. Yeah. And the music is always in, it has like its tempo, but then any time that time is moving faster or slower or in reverse, the music goes with it. Um, I thought that was very good. As far as like soundtracks go, Braid is an entirely classical soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, fun, it's good music. Yeah, it, it goes along with kind of that painterly aesthetic. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it all feels very dreamlike. Um, yeah, like you have like the, uh, the little cloud transitions between the house and the levels. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, it does its job. It like, it, it, it puts it, it gives it this atmosphere of something out of a painting. Yeah. But then I think the addition of the fact that it does follow in time with what you're doing is, I think is what puts it over. Yeah. Like that's what makes me top. actually like it. Yeah. yeah. It does fit the theme, but the addition of the the little effects. I I will say that the sound design by, you know, at large was not my favorite part of the game. Mm -hmm. I thought that most of the sound effects were, I mean, they're probably, I have to imagine, just sourced from a, a library. A library, yeah, because they aren't like, there's no voice acting, there isn't anything like Mm -hmm. really... Well, there's a a little bit of voice acting. There's some wailing that occurs on occasion, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of them felt, felt like very different from the rest of the game. And like the sound effects were 
working in contrast with the rest of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Didn't yeah. didn't love it. Yeah, I don't don't disagree. I think it's just a product of its indie game two thousand eight ness. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I think like the death sound effect feels very much like it's just pulled out of a a library <laughs> just slapped in there. Yeah, so you have the death sound, the sproing when you yeah. jump on things. That terrible lever noise that makes like, me yeah, want like, to hurt myself. Like canned, canned sound effects, I think yeah. is the name for it. Yeah. And in fact, the lever one kind of sounds like ripping the top off an aluminum can. <laughs> so maybe that's where... That... Just metal scraping on metal sound yeah. effects. <laughs> it's very grating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, obviously not the thing uh, that this game's known for. Is it's great sound. <laughs> Uh, do you have a favorite puzzle or a least favorite puzzle? Yes. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> which one was it? I'm going to revise my answer now. <laughs> I don't have one prepared, that's for sure. Yeah. I would say my favorite puzzle was one of the ones with the ring. And my least favorite puzzle was a tie for all of them <laughs> with uh, the ghost mechanic, mm-hmm. because I just don't like that mechanic. The end. <laughs> I would say my least favorite puzzle is the one where you had to raise the platform with the ghost, mm-hmm. because it took me forever, and then I never figured it out, and I tucked my tail between my legs, and I Googled <laughs> it, because I had no fucking idea what I was how to do that. Yeah, I think my least favorite one is... The only one that gave me trouble twice, because this tripped me up when I replayed it as well. Um, I think it's called something like a like a fickle companion mm. or something like that. No, the key. You have to get the key, um, and you have to get like the enemies to grab onto it and carry it for you. Like, yeah, man, is that one feel like there's so much going on? Yeah, in fact, I revised my answer again to that one. <laughs> Uh, there's a part of, of the, of the fickle companion level where you have to drop down, kill a guy. Mm-hmm. And like move the platform. Move the platform. So that it comes back and as the key goes up. Yeah. And then you have to race him over to the ladder mm-hmm. to climb up and then wait till he's past the ladder and then kill him. Because if you go back, then the time rewinds yeah. and then the key doesn't attach to you. Uh, that one is my least favorite because the visual information of where the key is felt like it was a bug and, uh, yeah. and it just, it made it impossible because it does it doesn't go smoothly. It like jitters and jumps back yeah, to where it's supposed it follows to follows your exact like movements. Well, sometimes I just saw it vanish and sometimes appear somewhere else. it drops to the ground. Yeah. And so I was really confused by a lot of the movement on that. So yeah, yeah. that's my favorite, <laughs> my least favorite puzzle in the game. Yeah. It's harder to pick a favorite. Like I feel like I remember specific moments. Like it's not a particularly interesting puzzle, but the one like I called out earlier about having like the, the pit with the green platform mm-hmm. and have like just figuring that out was like an early game. Like, Oh, of course. Ha ha. <laughs> I've got it. I'm smart. You know, so it's more like those kinds of moments I think are the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it does a better job of creating 
memorable failures yeah than it does actually like making a puzzle that stands out in its entirety yeah there's the one where you have it's like a moving back and forth one where on like the left side it's got like the donkey kong and it's like the cannon that like shoots oh the, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. it's the one where you have to like do the first backwards jump to the other side that level felt super good to solve to me <laughs> The backwards jump is a little bit bullshit, but like <laughs> that one felt like doable and satisfying, I think. Yeah. I think I it's it's there's the hunt level yeah. uh, with the forward and backwards movement where you have to like just figure out the order that they're going to be in and jump to. That one is like the uninteresting version. Of the Donkey Kong level. Yeah. Because that one's that, called Jump Man. Jump Man. Is what it's called. Yeah. That one is, is much more, I think, a much more creative use of the of the mechanic. Yeah. I think it is also creative to bring the exact same level back to show how mm-hmm. it works differently in each world. So I'm not going to, like, completely dismiss the hunt levels. But, yeah, that I think it is. it was done better in a previous level. Mm-hmm. And it made me less excited to do it again (laughs) uh so i wanted to talk about world one a little bit sure um i I think it's really interesting that it's i wouldn't say it's like a victory lap but like it's not challenging it it just it sets up for the twist where everything in world one just moves backwards yeah uh so i thought that was really cool uh it, it 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 somehow manages to feel ominous almost or like something's wrong. And then it is. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's interesting that it accomplishes that just with gameplay mechanics. Yeah. I think this game has interesting themes and an interesting method of storytelling, mm-hmm. but I don't think that the game sets a tone or a mood particularly well. I think that it, it ends up feeling very separate between its, like, what it is presenting to you versus your experience of bashing your head against these puzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think World 1 gets to be the moment where those finally come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by all of that, what I mean to say is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a really cool moment when you realize your rewind now makes things go forward. Right, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting, like, subversion of, like, how the game is worked. Yeah, and you describe it as a victory lap, but it's, it's like, the first stage ends up being the second hardest, aside from the one that goes on and on and on, that's mm-hmm. called Braid. Uh, but the, the first stage, you have to, like, figure out what the fuck is yeah, even happening. Yeah, you have to figure out what's happening, yeah. Yeah. And so that ends up being pretty cool. So I, I, I agree with you. I think... World 1 might even be sort of in a weird backward kind of way my favorite level because of that. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's, the ending is like the best part of the game. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll just talk about it now. Um, so the game has, you know, obviously set up this mystery. Like, what's World 1 going to be? It's up in the mysterious attic. Uh <laughs> keep talking about the princess and the further you get into the game, the more it seems like there's something up with that. Yeah. Uh, and you finally get there and as it manages to feel kind of ominous. And so you, you start the level 
and it's presented in such a way that it seems like the princess is being kidnapped and you're trying to get to her like you're both trying to race to get to each other so you can help her uh but you reach the end and you get to her window right and then you play it all backwards and realize the reality because now in world one every the rewind makes things go forward right uh you're actually like a creepy stalker man that's chasing (laughs) her and she's trying to get away from you and the knight's saving her and it's just like it's such a cool moment uh like um yeah i don't know i just have like a lot of like respect for it like it's hard to like sum it up how cool it is that like it manages to be a level that plays out one way forward and a different way back like the it seems like deceptively like simple. It was probably really hard to to make, right? So that it like actually came across in red as like what was actually happening, uh, without giving it away too early. Yeah, I I agree, and it's it's I think the reason that it works so well is because the the actual level is not easy to complete like it isn't so you don't think about it exactly you're thinking more about your execution this is the part where the game being a platformer starts to make more sense where it is like this level forces you to think about the platforming in a way that makes you not think about yeah you've got time pressure yeah the theme of what's going on and so when you do get to the end and then you start reversing it all sort of comes together which means that it was able to do a twist while showing you the end of the twist without you noticing mm-hmm. and it's able to to braid it nicely yeah. together yeah i also for a second wondered if the braid in question was going to be somehow a rapunzel reference uh, I, that makes enough sense yeah but it does i mean i guess it kind of does that because there is like the whole fairy tale theme to it mm-hmm. uh so i guess you could think of it that way but n- not literally <laughs> yeah which is probably a good thing um yeah and then in, you, you get all the way back and you leave into the epilogue and then it spits you back out to the beginning of the game uh so like it can be like red is like a cyclical thing that like world one happens you know yeah you you try to break into the princess's room <laughs> and uh she runs away from you and then, like, the rest of the game is kind of, like, him coming to terms with it mm-hmm. um, in, like, kind of, like, an endless cycle. It could be read as, like, a purgatory kind of thing or, like, a punishment or, you know, et cetera. Yeah, or the way that I kind of take it is, like, the the entirety of, of World 1 is, uh, well, I mean, the whole game, I guess, is is something that takes place as a recollection of Tim yeah, and the other levels where it's talking about reversing time and doing things over again. It's like things he wishes he could do. Yeah. Are finally put in context because he essentially had this idea, like the ideal, like the princess Mm -hmm. that he fucked up and now wants to redo and come back and say like, where did I go wrong? Yeah. Uh, but I'm also, as I may have mentioned earlier on this half, <laughs> unsure if I understand whether that is like he wants to continue to pursue the princess and fix the things that he did, or if he wants to go back and, and fix his overall behavior and personality. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite, where he is just broken and wants to go back because he is 
he thinks he is right it, and yeah. has to yeah to to be the one who who wins in the end no i mean i think that all sounds like valid interpretation yeah but man am i not able to settle <laughs> on anything i don't think you're supposed to be able to um so this game has two boss fights it does have two weird <laughs> boss fights yeah also another thing that feels strange uh in the like why does it have mario stuff uh kind of way like this at least the second time there's like a puzzle piece you can get after yeah um and it uses like the shadow mechanic it feels a little bit more like a thing the first time feels kind of pointless to me i'd agree though you're talking to the guy who's like how do games need boss fights like <laughs> yeah. on multiple occasions in instances where the answer is very obviously yes mm-hmm. uh in this case i think i've got a, a leg to stand on i think they this game has boss fights in the way that like uh, i don't know like a puzzle game would have a boss fight where it feels like just sort of some cobbled together stuff. I think I agree with you by and large that the second iteration is better. And the first iteration feels like, what can we do with the assets that we already have? Can I shoot fireballs out of his mouth? <laughs> That's something that we can manage. And then you <laughs> hit the chandeliers down. It feels dumb and is not hard and is kind of weird. Yeah, it feels non-committal. Yeah. It's like, uh, I guess we'll put this in here. Uh, do you have other notes? Uh, you notice how his name is Tim, which is time, time. with the E removed? Uh-huh. I... Uh, that was the only other note. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, then, do we have... Uh, how about Fractal? I don't get it. I just know Jonathan Blow talks about fractals. He's like, you can pick any point in the fractal and it's infinitely deep. Blah, 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 game design. Just pick a a concept and you can mine a deep whatever out of it for gameplay ideas and shit. Do we have fractal thoughts? (laughs) Uh, my fractal thoughts. Uh, this one's kind of tough, as we were discussing. Um, it's a game that it feels like you need to digest, mm-hmm. uh, which we haven't really had the time to do. Uh, but I, I feel like it's a game that I respect tremendously um, more than I actually like it. I, I do like it, um, but... It's a game that, like, I wish I liked more, I guess. Like, I wish I was a bit smarter. I know uh, you mentioned The Witness earlier. It's a game that I think looks really interesting, but I feel like it's something that I would bounce off of for sure. Um, and this is more accessible to me. Like, a puzzle platformer is more uh, my kind of thing. But, um, yeah, like, it's, it's a kind of, like problem-solving puzzle game that requires, like, a big investment uh, that can be pretty hard and lead to a lot of, like, downtime or tedium uh, that, you know, just isn't really for everybody. Um, 
but like it's got so many clever ideas it's got you know like i really respect the puzzle design a lot um every mechanic feels like it gets fully explored um and yeah like all the, the there's like it's there's so much stuff to keep peeling back uh with all the themes it's like a game you could spend a lot of time thinking about and i think like the the ending the 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 titular braid level is a really like a great achievement i think it's a really cool moment in uh something i'll remember uh for a long time so a lot of great stuff in there um it's just a very like in a very niche package that can make it kind of difficult to appreciate fully yeah um I feel, I would say marginally similar to that. I also sort of had to spend a lot of my final thoughts energy uh, in earlier parts of the, the podcast. Uh, my biggest takeaway of this is I really like this game on a thematic narrative standpoint. Uh, not because I necessarily really like the themes of the narrative, but because they are a thing that made me think a lot about what was being implied. Um, it's just something I like when a game does. I like the idea of something that makes you have to work for it. And I'm sad that I wasn't really able to piece it together in time for the episode. Uh, as far as the game itself, I didn't really have very much fun playing it. Uh, I knew that going in, though. I, my expectations were set pretty much perfectly on this one, where I knew that the idea of this game was not something that I was going to engage with. It just isn't my style of thing. Um, and so I was able to go in with uh, the meek understanding that I was going to struggle a lot in the mechanics uh, and that I was just supposed to experience it for the cultural moment that it was. Uh, and I'm really glad that I did. I think that I'm I'm interested in having the Braid conversation with other people. Being like, what did you take away from Braid? Especially if you played it multiple times. Uh, and like, what are the cool things? Because it has so many things in this game that I, I think are really cool on paper. Um, I, this is just a problem that I have where sometimes someone will do something that I personally hate. But when they talk about it, I did this thing. I'd be like, that's so different and cool. I'm glad that somebody did that and made other people suffer through it. Uh, and there are things like that in this game uh, that I find really amusing and, and just uh, good ideas that are just implemented into a thing that I don't engage with super well. So, like, do I recommend Braid? probably yeah it's it's a game that it would be weird for me to say no to that question but like did i personally enjoy braid uh only on a weird subsurface exploration level the game itself didn't do a lot for me so uh there you go thank you for listening to no clip this week mm, what did the die say this week I was like, how are we going to, what's he going to say? Because last time was the first time. Uh-huh. The <sighs> die, the die, the die will tell. The past, the present, and the future as well. All right, is the table produced? The table is up! All right.
Time to roll. Uh, we're doing Mystery May, by the way. We're going to roll on the table. <laughs> okay, hold on. To determine the game. <laughs> uh, this is the first Mystery May uh, full episode on Braid. That was a three that we rolled. Uh, and now we're rolling again to decide the second game that we're going to be doing for Mystery May. All right. N- no whammies. Ten. Ten. Man, I hate how <laughs> much you're going to like this result. Okay. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about Child of Light. Oh, hell yeah. The, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's wow. a Ubisoft. Two games with a painterly aesthetic that JJ likes a lot. Yep. And our platformers? It was Child of Light and RPG. Child of Light is an RPG by way of, like, a Metroidvania kind of world design. Right. Okay. I have, like, a vague idea of what this is. Yeah, I have no idea what you're going to think of it. Hell yeah. That's <laughs> exciting. I think I own it on Switch. I think you I have it remember. on Steam. Oh, I know on Steam. Maybe both. Anyway. Who, who knows? We have multiple of light games on the thing, because there's also Town of Light, I mm. think, is on the list. Uh, regardless, that's at least an interesting, cool result. So yes. I'm glad that we ended up with it. Until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. You can peep the Mystery May table that we're rolling on at noclippodcast.com slash mystery dash May. Probably should have given it a lightly different <laughs> URL, but whatever. Uh, the link should be in the description now of this video and none of the other ones who cares uh there you can find uh links to our twitter account our email address the discord server you can suggest games for us to play uh and our youtube channel where there and on the website you can find all of our old episodes including episodes that we did on other puzzle game baba is you we had to have done puzzle platformers uh, we did The Last Guardian. I mentioned that earlier. That's so true. So why not say that? Yeah, Last Guardian. That's a puzzle platformer. In 3D. We talked about Super Mario 3D World, which is a platformer. <laughs> I know we've done puzzle platformers. <laughs> oh, we talked about Fantastic Puzzle Platformer and All Around Fucked Up Disaster Tamashi. Uh, one year. Trine. And we did Trine. Oof. We did do Trine. And I said the phrase, uh, Andy the Panty Dropper <laughs> Kinnick on it. So, always something to keep an eye out for. <laughs> uh, miss the jump and then rewind and readjust. So, smash that like button. Slow down. Slow down, Andy. <laughs> Don't try and end the episode just right there. All right, I'll take off my wedding ring there, and yeah, use it right. to slow yeah. down. Perfect. Goodbye. Who was the guy? Bur- Bergenworth? No. Bergenon. Who was the guy who hosted America's Funniest Home Videos? Oh, oh, there's been multiple people. Well, the one after Bob Saget. I just, I always but before just, those two. I people. remember Daisy Fuentes and John Fugel saying, "Right." <laughs> well, that's who we are. <laughs>
<laughs> welcome to No Clip. I'm Daisy Fuentes. And I'm John Fugelson. <laughs> and welcome to America's Funniest Home Video Games. <laughs>